Greetings, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Scramble Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Erickson, Marketing Director at Farmer's Hen House, and this podcast is brought to you by Farmer's Hen House, eggs that not only taste good, but do good for the hen, for the farmer, for the environment, and most importantly, for you. And today, I am joined by the managing editor, editor, that's a tough word to say fast, of Egg Industry. Miss Devin King has joined us today. Devin, thank you so much uh, for taking time out and uh, joining the podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to it. And Devin, where are you calling in from today? I live in eastern Iowa, about three hours straight east of Des Moines. Okay. And is that where you were born and raised? Uh, No, I'm originally from East Lansing, Michigan. Um, grew up on a cattle operation outside of town there, and now I live on a cattle operation with my husband here in Eastern Iowa. Okay. And is your husband from Eastern Iowa? Yep. Okay. So and that's what I assume drew you guys to the area? Yeah. He wasn't ever going to leave the little one gas station town, so here we are. Okay. So, he, so he, does he wear that native Iowa sticker, bumper sticker, proudly on his truck? or? <laughs> You could say that, yes. Nice. So you guys, you said you have a cattle operation. What does that consist of? Uh, we have about 100 head of Maine and key cattle. Uh, we raise show cattle and buy and trade a lot of show cattle. So we have about five different cattle sales a year, um, an annual steer sale, and then we sell show heifers as well for 4-H and youth projects. Okay. And that's something that you said also you grew up on a cattle farm? Yep, I grew up showing cattle, so um, my grandfather always bought and sold and raised show cattle, and so I showed cattle and pigs growing up and um, lived closer to town there, but something that I've always done. Yeah. Now, has, has your uh, cattle operation or has the cattle industry, in, and particularly maybe the, the cattle show industry, been impacted significantly by the pandemic? You know, it's interesting. I would say the show cattle industry uh, has been incredibly resilient. Um, You know, this is an opportunity for youth. And so regardless of what hoops they've had to jump through or what protocols they've had to put in place, whether it be, you know, one kid and one parent at a show or the use of masks or the use of social distancing, um, they found a way to keep having these shows for for these youth youth exhibitors. And so, um, I mean... Maybe some people will look down on that, but a lot of people have really appreciated that sense of normalcy for our junior members and for the kids. You know, you have to be under 18 at some shows, and so this is really just something for kids that are still adolescents, so to speak, to take part in, and it's yeah. a great learning opportunity for them, so it's been a good. Yeah, that's awesome. So now, do you find that that's something that is trending upward or downward as far as popularity with youth you i mean since you've been doing it even perhaps when you were a youth have you uh just seen a change with uh i don't know just interest in general from a youth perspective you know my husband and i every year it seems like we sell more and more cattle and some of that could be to due to success and some of it i think is just due to um an increase in people wanting to do it and wanting to be a part of it and i I think that parents are looking for avenues for their kids to partake in it, whether it be showing hogs or even poultry, um, because there's so much to learn from showing livestock. And so, yeah, I I think it's continuing to grow. Um, 
but in a sense, it's the same families are still the core basis of the industry. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Now, I've seen the Westminster Dog Show. It is a cattle show of, uh, you know, similar acclaim? Is it, uh, you know, kind of, I mean, I feel like the Westminster has kind of a pomp and circumstance. Would you say cattle shows are, are similar in that? Um, so cattle of all four species probably that get shown the most in the livestock industry, um, cattle take the most presentation in terms of like grooming them and getting them fit to go to the ring and stuff like that. Um, but as far as like how they exhibit them, I mean, you have to have them dialed in and ready to go. And so there's different feeding methods and there's, you know, people groom their hair certain ways and they have to be a good showman has to know how to set the animal up in order to best present that animal. So yeah, there's a lot to it. So to compare it to the dog show, I mean, it's just as serious. It's just, there's shows that are, um, within our industry held to the same caliber. It's just not publicized on tv sure sure um now do you guys compete nationally oh yeah okay have you guys won any national awards yeah we've been fortunate to be very successful at at the national level especially within those two breeds i previously mentioned um you know last year we won the kansas city american royal steers show with a steer we sold um we bred and raised the champion maintainer female at the junior uh, national a couple of years ago. We've had reserve at the main. I mean, we've, we've been very fortunate. I'll just say that yeah. to, to have some success at the national level. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, now like managing the steer and showing the steer, uh, I mean, that seems intimidating to me. Uh, is that something that you can domesticate in one oh, sense? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, you'll have your ones that are bullheaded. Um, no pun intended. But you'll also have ones that turn into big puppy dogs. And, you know, you'll see anywhere from kids that are four or five years old out there showing 1,300-pound heifers or steers. And so you can definitely turn them into gentle giants. Yeah, that's good to know. Well, that's great. And that's fascinating, too. It's a... Uh... It's a world that I don't know a lot about, but I know when we first met, you were sharing some of uh, just your story uh, with regards to that. And uh, yeah, it's just a fascinating um, part of your story, but also too, just a, it seems like a, an exciting industry. So uh, Devin, you, you said you grew up in a cattle operation, so it sounds like there's always been a love of, of ag um, from a young age. Is that correct? Oh, for sure. It's funny because even growing up, I knew that I wanted to be involved in agriculture to what capacity. I wasn't sure, Um, but I would say it was never anything that I questioned. Yeah. So kind of take us through maybe an abridged uh, bio of your story from uh, growing up on a cattle farm to now being managing editor of Ag Industry. So I started out, uh, after I graduated high school, I actually was on a judging scholarship to judge livestock and went to a junior college in Illinois for two years. Um, and from there, I went to Kansas State University. I always really enjoyed writing. Um, and so Kansas State actually offers you the opportunity to go to both the College of Ag and the School of Journalism and their Ag Communications program. So I went through that program. Um, I graduated in 2016 from Kansas State. And then from there, I 
went on to um went on to work for a local newspaper and they actually put out the uh, a publication called the Eastern Iowa Farmer and so I was writing about just different farm stories and each year we would have a theme um, whether it be profits or market profitability or you know how to probably take care of the soil or whatever it might be and so I started there and then I actually joined Watt um, after a year of being there. So I joined Watt 2017, I believe, and really it was a pretty fast pace um, that I was able to move up the ladder, and I was very fortunate to do so um, just in terms of it worked out that way. Um, the, the spot was available. I was there, and so it really worked out well for me to kind of take on that role in the egg industry with the help of my boss, Terrence. And so he's kind of guided me and helped me get to that spot, Um but that's kind of the kind of the process. It's it's been fun and it's been great to meet people. And I find the longer I'm in the role, the more people I meet, the easier it is to do my job. So yeah, yeah. So uh, it sounds like your your first love is cattle, though. Is that correct? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So so, but now uh, overseeing uh, egg industry uh, has that been something? Have you grown up with, with poultry or uh, grown up uh, raising hens? I have not. Um, so this was all new. And I often tell people, I think that it made me a better writer because when I was writing for the magazine previously, before I came to Watt, I oftentimes already knew the answers to my questions. So I had preconceived thoughts or I had, you know, in my head how I was already going to put this article together. And so it's been really good for me to have to learn and understand and ask even more questions in order to write the articles. So, no, I, I didn't have any sort of laying hen or poultry background when I started. And so um, it's been a learning opportunity, and I think it's actually improved my writing style. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, yeah, because it's kind of forced you to have to, to be maybe a, a more um, unique observer of, uh, like you said, something that, that you weren't overly familiar with. So with your time uh, in, I guess, the egg industry, what have been some of the things that have maybe surprised you personally the most? Um, I would probably say people's lack of knowledge about different productive production practices. Um, I think that's something that consumers maybe don't completely understand the difference between conventional cage free, free range, uh, pasture raised, whatever you know, whichever one you want to look at. And so it's been interesting to me to learn about each one of those production practices and then to understand, you know, how they're marketed to different consumers, maybe what the demands are for those different products, and then also understanding the side of it that consumers are still trying to understand those practices and maybe still don't understand what they actually are. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of terms, a lot of labels. I know we feel a lot of questions um, with regards to, you know, just the differences between all the different terms. And two, it, I mean, it, in part, it, there's a bit of a wild, wild west nature to it because uh, if you're not going through any kind of certification, then you can pretty much put any term you want on it. Yeah. So is that, I, yeah, go ahead. I think too, I think with those labels, um, I think consumers are confused. I think that they see a label and they, you know, they just make their own assumption like anything yeah. in life. But 
I don't know that they're necessarily educated about it. And I think the hard part too is that as an industry, it's been hard to get the truth out there to them. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of times the way they're getting their information or, information or the sources they're using aren't necessarily from industry members. And so I think from a producer standpoint, that probably makes it a lot harder to market your product or to better teach your consumer what your label really means. Yeah. Yeah. What, what terms have you noticed, or at least do you, from your perspective, if you, you feel like have the most weight with consumers? Um, this maybe isn't necessarily, um, you know, just specific to the egg industry, but I do think it's interesting how many products are marked GMO free because I don't think most consumers actually understand what GMO is. Yeah. And I don't think that they understand that a lot of products that are marked GMO free actually don't have GMOs in them to begin with. Right. Right. So it's, you know, it's more or less just a marketing campaign for the company. Um, yeah. And so that's probably not, you know, as specific to the egg industry, obviously, but you know, I've even seen or heard it from people about cage free. They assume that when cage free eggs are outside and I mean, it's not the case. So, um, it's just interesting. I think, I think there's, um, I think in every industry there is, um, and I don't want to say misinformation. I, sh- I would just say, I think in every industry there is um, lack of, or yeah, that's the right word, some lack of knowledge on the consumer side um, or a lack of getting the, and I guess I'm not writing this right, but there's they're not getting the information where they should, and therefore they maybe have a misconception about what some labels actually mean. Sure, sure. And I think too, just the way discourse tends to to form be, be, become discourse is oftentimes in, in generalizations, right? And so I think kind of the connotation even of the term like organic. Uh, I know that. Uh, you know, there's some like our, our pasture raised eggs are or, organic and we don't have any other kind of pasture raised eggs. But um, I know that other uh, companies have different kinds of pasture raised, you know, organic, uh, non-organic, GMO, non-GMO. Um, and so I think I've noticed that even a term like pasture raised has a connotation that it's organic. And so they're, 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 they might be surprised to find out that they've been buying a product that's been labeled pasteurized, that's not organic, even though it doesn't say it's organic on it, right? Um, yeah, I think that's, a, a, a inter- I mean, just a, an interesting insight on uh, labels. And I know, or in, and just the way we, um, you know, create terms to hope to probably build a connotation that resonates with the consumer, um, that makes a product more attractive, obviously. But but yeah, I think the the key is to to making sure how we can clearly articulate both on the package and in our uh, literature on our website or maybe in our social media just clearly what each of those terms means. But even then, obviously, you know, it's not necessarily always understood. So um, yeah, I think I think you're right about that too. And I think to some extent, as an industry, you know as a whole, just the, the traditional protein industry. I think we need to do a better job of gaining the trust of our consumers again and really resonating with them. Um, 
that the producers are people and that they're taking care of the animals and good husbandry practices and all of that. Because I think once you start doing that, the consumer will start listening to the producer about what the labels mean rather than letting somebody else tell the story for them. Mm-hmm. And I think that, I think that would be huge. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So with your time, not just in, in the egg industry, but also to just in uh, agriculture in general, what have you witnessed to be some of um, the more significant changes, maybe with regards to technology, ethics, sustainability, things of that nature? Yeah, I mean, I think the most uh, obvious one right now after the pandemic is probably the absence of face-to-face contact within the industry. You know, everything's gone digital and that's changing the way that we do business, whether it be from a sales standpoint and when you're building your barns and, you know, you're going to put waters and that guy used to come and visit your operation. Now you're maybe doing it over Skype or over a phone call. Um, And that's the same, you know, throughout every industry. You might be meeting with your feed reps now over the phone versus them actually visiting your operation and looking at your animals and deciding what's best for your needs and your layout. So, Um, I think that's a rather obvious one. Um, And then, you know, too, just since I've been in the egg industry, we've had numerous states uh, mandate the sale of cage-free eggs. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how does that financially impact the industry? Um, What does that do for trade, um, logistics? I think that could end up and be really interesting from a retail standpoint of what's going to happen to these big superstores, you know, whether it be walmarts or targets but these national brand stores how does that work for them from a logistical standpoint i think that's a change that we're going to see or a challenge that we're going to see in the near future and so um, i think those are two obvious ones i think you know obviously as a whole here in the last i don't know how many years but uh obviously the alternative protein market has grown it's still a very small segment of the overall industry but it has grown substantially and i think we've seen more of it in marketing campaigns i think we've seen more of it in news it seems to be more trendy on social media and stuff like that so um, i think those are three areas that in my opinion have probably been the biggest changes or um, have gotten the most hype here recently within industry conversations. And I mean, obviously, like you said, sustainability um, is always a conversation. And I think that's going to continue to grow and be a major conversation in every industry, because I think in order to take some of the attention off of animal welfare, um, and not even to take, I shouldn't say take attention off of animal welfare, because as producers, we do a great job of taking care of these animals, but that's the story we need to be telling and not letting other um, activist groups trying to tell the story for us because they obviously have an agenda. So we need to tell our own story. And with that comes talking about sustainability and how properly taking care of our animals is also sustainable for the world and for the environment. So um, I think those are some areas that obviously we've seen some change. I think we've seen trends go that way, and obviously the conversations increase. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Those are all good insights. Although your first one about just doing more uh, business and commerce, you know, virtually makes it difficult for our Amish farmers. So we, oh, sure. uh, <laughs> so what we find is that uh, you know, obviously because of uh, the limitations there. Um, you know, they still very much are doing business, I would say the traditional way. Um, but at the same time, obviously if you have access to technology, most people are taking full advantage of it. Um, 
Now, you mentioned the uh, kind of meat, egg, dairy alternatives. Have you done much writing or research on just their impact into uh, agriculture? Or is it kind of too too early to tell? So that's actually um, my colleague. She focuses more on that, the poultry future and just the alternative proteins. Um, I've written some blogs in that area and just where I kind of think it's going or what I could see being the issues or stuff like that. Um, but I probably don't have as much insight to that area as but she would. The one thing I would say about it, and I think I already mentioned this, is that it is still such a small percent of the overall meat sector. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of um, different organizations, whether it be like the National Cattlemen's or I know um, – like pork checkoff and stuff like that. They're doing stuff to try and educate consumers and say, you know, here's the differences. Here's what is in a traditional piece of meat. Here is what's in an alternative piece of, you know, an alternative protein. So I think trying to educate consumers about that is going to be beneficial. And I think there's still far more than the majority choosing to go with traditional proteins than are going with alternatives. Yeah, yeah. So as you look at, uh, I don't know, maybe the next five to, to 10 years, uh, and if you, if you don't have any uh, thoughts on this, that's fine. But I, I didn't know if you had any kind of predictions of trends, uh, either growing or stopping or, or maybe just some new, uh, I don't know, I, things that could happen in the, the industry from your perspective. Boy, I think that's a hard one to answer because, I mean, Obviously, the pandemic was the exception, not the rule. But, I mean, it's just so interesting how politics can play on agriculture and can play on policy. Um, you know, like I said, even these states that have been mandated to only sell cage-free eggs, um, obviously that has to do with politics. And so I think over the next, whether it be 5, 10, 15 years, um, I think you're going to see a lot of that in pressure from different animal rights groups and stuff like that. So as producers, it's going to be our job to tell our story and to really get that out there in order to avoid some of those trends and some of those lawmaking decisions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think you're right. The, the transparency that we offer as producers is going to be critical, uh, to be able to, to tell the story of, um, what we're doing, uh, as a, as a good thing, right. As something that's not simply, uh, exploiting our, um, our just, you know, less than true, but something that is, uh, just to see what's at stake, right? It's not, it's the animals, it's the, the farmers, it's the, the surrounding communities, the businesses. I mean, you're talking about entire, uh, micro economies that, and, and also larger economies that, um, certainly, uh, this is, uh, impacting. So, so as, as I guess can, this is kind of a, a big, uh, maybe a philosophical question here, and maybe not, I don't know, but what, what do you feel like the industry, as you've grown up in it, as you now work in it, what do you feel like it means uh, to Americans? And, and I guess, too, secondly, um, what do you think just, and maybe you've, you've kind of maybe already touched on some of these things, but just what Americans uh, need to know about the industry and what's at stake there? Well, first and foremost, I think that 
American, the general American needs to have a better understanding of how agriculture works. I think we saw some of that during panic buying. Um, and I think they got a little bit of a taste for that. And so I think there needs to be a better understanding altogether of how the food chain works. Um, you know, from a logistical standpoint, from a production standpoint, um, just in general, really. And so, you know, agriculture, obviously, the obvious answer would be we feed the world. But as you just touched on, you know, there is also so much employment and, you know, the house or the husbandry practices, you know, the farmers tend to the earth. And so, keeping your soil maintained and you're, you know, obviously we have to do a good job of managing our water supplies and stuff like that. So that's all stuff that farmers pay attention to and have to tend to. And so I think it's just something that we need to keep telling our story and doing a good job of telling our story and keep feeding the world as we have. And obviously for the egg industry, you know, we're the cheapest form of protein. And so regardless of what happens politically um, or, you know, whether we see a boom in jobs or we don't, or however the economy is doing, there's always going to be a demand for a cheap supply of protein. And so eggs are that, and they offer that, and they're a healthy option. And so I don't think that's going anywhere. I think it's always going to be our job to feed the world. We just have to do it and the best practices that we can and make everybody realize that as farmers, you know, we are families that provide just the same way anybody else is. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. That's important. Um, you came out, I think, last year, or maybe it was two years ago, to Farmer's Hen House. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was right before the pandemic, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I remember it's definitely before the pandemic. Um, was that? Was that? I, I feel like when we talked, it, there were some things that were kind of either maybe your first time or kind of novel for you. Uh, and maybe it's because you were earlier on in your career at that time. But I just was curious of um, if you had, and this maybe is a shameless question, but just what when you came out, just kind of what was what struck you about Farmer's Hen House? Well, I think my first response, and we've actually written a couple articles on this now, would would be the way you guys operate your solar field. I think that's super cool and a great way to be sustainable. Um, I think that's obviously something that you guys can tell about your operation that's going to appeal to customers because they're going to appreciate it. And not only that, but you're giving energy back to the community, if I understood it correctly. So yeah. um, I thought that was super interesting. And then obviously I spent a good deal of time with your CEO driving around and seeing the operations. And it is really cool to see how you guys work with the Amish and just the way they use generators to operate um, the different barns and the outdoor access and uh, I guess how how normal it seems without power even. And so right. I thought it was really cool and I actually really enjoyed my time. That was one of my favorite on-farm visits I've done. So Yeah, yeah. It was, well, it's great having you out and I, we, yeah, we appreciate obviously um, just the the articles you've written about particularly about our, our solar field and um, and these are things too. I mean, you know, before I came to Farmer's Hen House, I was working in the nonprofit world. And so I didn't know what to expect. And I think just seeing the, the just, I mean, literally a community of Amish uh, and Mennonite farmers uh, operating, you know, for the most part uh, without any kind of power. <laughs> I mean, apart from either solar or maybe a generator. Um, but that it's just, uh, kind of the, the norm down in, in Kelowna and, and, uh, it's, it was at the time incredibly exotic for me now it's, you know, part of my job, but 
it is um, just kind of a unique perspective that into that's something that we're trying to communicate as clearly and as uh, transparently as we can about who our farmers are um, and what uh, is at stake, you know, with if not just with producing eggs, but obviously too, seeing that, you know, an egg is, is much more than an egg when it arrives at the, the retail shelf. Um, so anyway, we appreciate obviously you visiting us and, and sharing a little bit of our story. Um, I have to ask, uh, working in the egg industry, do you eat eggs? <laughs> I do. My son loves them more than I do though. I'm, I'm not the biggest consumer of eggs, but my little guy loves to make them. He thinks it's awesome to crack them. Um, more than once we've ended up with shells in the, in the yolk, but it's okay. It's been a learning process. So yes, we, we like to make our scrambled eggs and throw our cheese and salsa on there. And yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, and I have to confess too, I am not a big egg eater. Um, and you would think that with, uh, the access to eggs, I would maybe learn to become one. But I think the thing is I appreciate the egg more as an ingredient, less in and of itself. If I can and I think, say that. I, I think it's funny you say that because so many people, when you think about like eating eggs or consuming eggs, they think of like, oh, what recipes can I make that are solely, you know, egg is your main ingredient, whether it be breakfast burritos or a casserole or, you know, something to that extent. Um, but I mean, we saw this during the pandemic, the baking, I mean, yeah. cakes, cookies, whatever the case may be. Well, yeah, and I think too, just it was even a revelation for me just how critical eggs are to the production of a lot of foods, right? Um, yeah. And we just, yeah, obviously found egg prices skyrocketing and um, shelves being emptied. So, anyway, yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's an interesting um, product in that it's, it seems very basic and simple, but. It is very much tied to a lot of uh, the food production in this country and obviously a lot of people's diets. So, well, hey, it has been over a half hour, so I don't want to take up uh, any more of your time today. But I really appreciate you just sharing uh, your story in the industry, sharing insights that you've gleaned uh, during your time. Um, And I think, too, just that the call to build greater transparency in uh just the production, but also to just the terms and what things mean and, and making sure that we are clearly and effectively um, articulating that to our uh, consumers and consumers know exactly what they're getting uh, when they're buying uh, eggs or, or any protein for that matter. So I really appreciate your time today, Devin. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. I think, uh, like you said, we got to keep showing everyone that farmers and uh, livestock producers regardless of the species are hardworking americans that you know are providing something we all need so thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure talking with you yeah the pleasure's been ours so thank you all for listening this has been another episode of the scramble podcast brought to you by farmers hen house eggs that not only taste good but do good for the hen for the farmer for the environment and most importantly for you thanks so much for listening bye